Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. This is our video cast number 31, our podcast episode 21 for the week ending May 22nd, 2020. Decided to do the little video in the corner this week because I had my suit on from Fox Business this afternoon. Want to thank Ellie Terrett and Liz Clayman for having me on the Clayman Countdown on Fox Business this afternoon. And we're actually gonna kick off the show uh, playing it because it's, it's a short clip and it goes through a lot of the themes that we're gonna be discussing today. So let's have a listen here. Friday, I have the holiday weekend. Tom, I wouldn't ignore the Hong Kong situation, certainly. You know, this afternoon, the UK, Australia, and Canada issued a joint statement, I have it right here, saying that China will be in violation of the joint declaration that had been signed years ago by China and the UK that had granted Hong Kong some really strong autonomy. Will that turn up the heat on these markets if China presses its very hard thumb down? What do you think, Tom? Well, very well it could, Liz. Um, you know, you've got the rhetoric really elevating between the Trump administration and China with regard to uh, coronavirus culpability, now the power grab in Hong Kong, and uh, issues like that. So I think moving forward, as we look at U.S. markets, in order for us to sustain these levels and maybe even push higher with the wall of worry, we're going to see a rotation into cyclicals. And this is very, very common after two quarters of negative GDP growth. Historically, we see a rotation into these type of stocks. Uh, right now, the top five stocks of the S&P 500 make up 25% of that weight. So we need to see a broadening participation. I think we're going to see that in banks. I think we're going to see that in defense stocks. And that's why what you brought up, Liz, is so appropriate right now, because I think just the increasing rhetoric between the Trump administration and China, although I don't see it going into another trade war or into a cold war, I think it's enough to bring attention to the valuation of these defense stocks. Did you know this sector was down peak to trough 60% during the great financial crisis? This cycle, it was down 55%. So with the market up so much off the lows, there's still some really embedded value in this sector banks, home builders, and energy, which uh, we let Phil talk about that. Well, you know, we just showed what some of the biggest names. Okay, so that kind of sets up the theme. On Tuesday, I had a, a longer segment on Yahoo Finance. Uh, first off, thanks again to Ellie Terrett over at Fox Business and Liz Clayman. And uh, over at Yahoo Finance, I had a long segment on Tuesday with Shauna Smith. She has a show called The Ticker at 2 p.m. And Liz's show is at 3 p.m. on Fox Business, by the way. Uh, definitely check out both. And also to Sarah Smith, who invited me on Shauna Smith's show on Tuesday. And in Shauna's clip, which you definitely want to check this out. We're not going to play this one here. You can watch it directly on Yahoo Finance. The way you find all these is you just click on Featured On. And both of these will be right at the top because they're the most recent from this week. Um, we really covered a lot of the things we're going to cover in the article of the week uh, with Shauna, and she always asks great questions. So you definitely want to take some time and get some context with, we were particularly talking about banks and CCAR and uh, the PPP program and how we pick names, et cetera. So you'll find some great value if you haven't had a chance to check that out yet. Definitely do that. Again, thanks to the folks over at Yahoo Finance, uh, Shauna Smith and Sarah Smith. 
last week I told you about the uh, Wall Street Journal article. Uh, uh, ZU sent me over the um, the uh, Dow Jones Newswire because they had updated it by the time we showed uh, it was from Friday morning. But we were talking the same thing there as well. There's an underlying expectation that it's time to rotate into laggard under-owned value sectors like banks, industrial energy. We're gonna talk about small caps and uh, defense falls within the industrials. So thank you to UZ at the Wall Street Journal. And um, now we're gonna get on to our article of the week. Uh, the, Grace the Grace Potter falling or flying stock market and sentiment results. And uh, before we jump into that and a little background, uh, fun background on that, um, this week, we really started to see things change. Uh, up, obviously, the S&P was up about 3% for the week but, uh, and 1% for the month. But small caps, which we've been talking about for, you know, uh, uh, in our last uh, couple of podcast video casts, were up 7% this week. So there is that rotation coming online like we talked about on Liz's clip and you'll see in the Yahoo. So uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on that today. But the reason I picked uh, Grace Potter falling or flying stock market, uh, my wife and I have been big fans of Grace Potter for uh, about 10 years now. We actually, we have a place in New York City. We have, we're full-time in Connecticut, but we have a place in the city on Bryant Park. And one night we were just walking home from, I think it was Korean barbecue. We love Korean barbecue. Uh, so we always walk there when it's nice. And we heard this like amazing concert. It was packed. We're like, what's going on over there? So it was in Bryant Park. And it was like, it was the most electric concert ever. And uh, we went over, we've been fans ever since. We saw it, they were recording for, um, uh, I think it was like PBS. It was one of those specials. And it was, you know, most of you, if you don't know Grace Potter, she's famous for that song, Paris, ooh la la. I'm not gonna sing it because I, I, I really have no tonality when it comes to singing. Uh, you've heard me for a number of weeks here. Every time I try, it just doesn't work. But it was amazing, and four or five concerts later, here we are, we've seen her in Connecticut a few times, uh, and uh, she's just great. But the reason it, it really, uh, we saw her in January in New Haven, before COVID, better than ever, but she does um, weekly live streams now because of coronavirus, and you can click here to see her live shows, um, and one of the songs that I thought embodied the sentiment of like last week we had the 6% intraweek drawdown when you had the four horsemen of the apocalypse come out and say the world was ending. Uh, we covered that on last week's article. If you want to see last week's note, you can just click here on the right under commentary and see every week's notes and see what we were saying when the market was doing what. Pull open a chart. Um, so falling or flying, and that's what everyone's wondering. You know, the market's up uh, from the spike lows to the peak uh, highs uh, was up about 35% the S&P off the bottom. We've consolidated sideways for about a month, and now it's trying, trying, trying to break out. But we're going to need more participation than those top five stocks. And, uh, you know, her lyrics are things ain't bad, but things ain't right. Are we falling or flying? Are we living or dying? Uh, same thing here, because my friend, this too shall pass, so play every show like it's your last. And I think that's a good way to think about it. So let's let's work through the data and see if, in effect, we are falling or flying. And uh, I highly recommend you press play there and listen to her song. She's phenomenal. If you're not familiar, if you are familiar, you're, you've probably already clicked on, on, on 
uh, to listen in on, on her song. So uh, this article, by the way, can be found on the right side of the website under popular posts, Grace Potter, Falling or Flying. So, um, so on Shauna's show, we talked about the, uh, you know, I, I worked through the confusion in the markets and how it would resolve itself through broadening participation of laggard sectors over time and partial sector rotation. So the, here's another place you can play it. The key there is, um, does it have to be, uh, this here is uh, last week's article that I referenced, does it have to be at the expense of the top five stocks? So here's what we're talking about, and, and we have covered this before. This was two, uh, the year 2000 when Microsoft, GE, Cisco, Intel, and Walmart made up uh, about 18 or 19% of the S&P 500 weights. And then here's what it looks like now. Michael, uh, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook. Now I think it's up to 25% of the weight. So that's an awful lot. Now that doesn't mean that it has to be a tech wreck like 2000. It, it could be, you know, you have the uh, antitrust suits coming up against Google. So maybe that's gonna be a trend moving forward, but it might just be that they will relatively underperform. They don't necessarily have to crash or do anything bad, but the laggard sectors, as managers panic in behind their benchmark, where are they gonna find value? You know, institutions are unlikely to chase up. That's more of a retail characteristic. They're more likely to build value positions over time, which takes them, you know, weeks or if not months to build the size that they need. And they need to do that in things that can play catch up. Uh, so we're going to talk about some of those sectors. Um, so the other thing that's absolutely essential to this thesis is data and how people are positioned and, and uh, where is maximum pain for managers. In other words, what action in the market is going to cause the most amount of pain to the most amount of participants because that's what the market is generally designed to do. And for 99% of participants that were shorting in the hole and saying the world was coming to an end in, when, when in March, um, uh, they now have to play catch up because the reversal, like in December of 2018, was so aggressive. And we talked about all through that period, you can pull up the notes, there's a good possibility the market's not going to let anyone in. And that's exactly what happened. So now they've got to get the leftovers. And uh, but th that's the bad news. The good news is I think there's still a lot of opportunity for those managers and they can turn out with a very exciting year if they play it correctly. So um, let's go through uh, first the context of this data from the Bank of America monthly global fund, fund manager survey. This is one of the key data points I look at. It interviews about uh, uh, 200 managers with 600 billion of assets under management. And historically, it's paid to take the other side of trades that tend to be excessively crowded with minimal marginal buyers or sellers. And that's what we're talking about here with these top five stocks. It's not to say they won't go up, but for the market to really be healthy and sustain these levels, if not push a bit higher, we do need to see a broadening of participation. We're going to talk about where we want to see that. Um, so first off, if you didn't get a chance to review it this week, um, this is the link May Bank of America Global Fund Manager survey results. You can just um, search 
in there's a search box on the right side of the website right here if you just type in you know global fund managers any of these words you know bank of america global fund manager it will come right up or you can click on the category which is uh also commentary click here and, and they'll come up um so this first chart here that they put out was positioning in May. So they're overweight defensives. Healthcare is number one, cash, uh, bonds, most bonds since 2000, July 2009, which was the beginning of the bull market, not the end. Um, and the most crowded trade is US tech and US growth, which we're gonna talk a bit about, which we've started to create the context. The most undervalued where they're underweight, uh, energy, equities, industrials, materials, etc. cetera, uh, banks and uh, emerging markets to a less, lesser extent. Only 10% see a V-shaped recovery, so very, very bearish. Um, uh, most managers are worried that stocks are in a bear market rally that could quickly fade uh, in the second wave, in the face of a second wave coronavirus um, wave of infections. Um, this was uh, showing that just as in 2009, which was the bottom of the bear market, all the managers wanted to see companies use their cash to improve their balance sheets, which is exactly where we are now. And that was the low in March of 2009. That's where they are now. You know, a few months ago, they all said, you know, buybacks and dividends. Now they're saying, um, uh, please fix your balance sheet. And that's usually a capitulation near the bottom. Uh, cash levels are at 5.7% down from 5.9%. Uh, again, these are levels that you see at bottoms, not tops. Bottoms, near bottoms, not tops. And the average for the last 10 years is 4.7. So um, the other aspect of this report, and you can go through it one by one, is um, the bull bear sentiment indicator that's proprietary to Bank of America is still at zero, which is the most contrary buy signal that they have uh, when pessimism gets that uh, extreme. The other aspect that fits into this overarching thesis that we're laying out is um, that managers were most bearish on value stocks underperforming relative to growth in 13 years. So they expect growth, the, the majority of them like growth, which is why long US tech and growth is the most crowded trade right now. And um, uh, so, so that just gives you a general overview of positioning. Very defensive, very bearish, very skeptical, this is a wall of worry that can be climbed, but I don't think the five names that got us here uh, are gonna be the five names to take us to the next level. They may continue to be the heavier weights and they can, may continue to go up, but I think that they're going, they're, they're going to relatively underperform. And you may see the indices relatively underperform to some of these laggard stocks. And we're gonna talk about an indicator uh, uh, stocks above the 200 moving day moving average in just a little bit. And you'll see what I mean that, you know, the S&P, I think I heard a stat today was down 8%, but the median stock is down 16%. So there's still 
good opportunity uh, for people that are, are willing to do the work and, and look under the surface. Um, so just a reemphasis, investors are underweight cyclicals, energy industrials, Europe, et cetera, overweight defensives, healthcare, cash, and bonds we covered. Uh, this gives you an idea of the magnitude of healthcare overweight. Uh, that's an extreme. I mean, the closest thing we saw was uh, uh, at, the, at the bottom of the bear market again in, in 2008, and we saw a similar situation in 2005. So that's definitely extreme. Biggest risk is a second wave of coronavirus. Um, sentiment is down towards 2009 levels. And contrarian trades, investors looking to play the upside, long emerging market debt, short US tech. I mean, that, that's a very aggressive trade. I don't know that I'd be taking that trade, but it, it's uh, long energy, short healthcare. Yeah, yeah we, we definitely like energy. I don't know how aggressively we wanna get short. Although one of our shorts in the trade service this week was in the tech, uh, in healthcare slash biotech, uh, one of them. So it was kind of a, um, a discrete special situation, but um, uh, that was that. Now, uh, we've gone through positioning and we have this picture of Gretzky here because we want to skate to where the puck is going to be. Where is the puck right now? The puck is in defensives. The puck is overweight in tech and in bonds. We want to go, we want to try to skate ahead and anticipate where it's going. Not in the next day, not in the next hour, in the next, you know, three to six months and hopefully a trend over the next six to 18 months because that's really over time. If you look back over a career, you make all of your money on, you know, those type of windows where there's some shift, a dislocation and you catch the sector rotation and you ride it and you, you do it aggressively when everyone's selling, you're there buying. And we've had that opportunity in the last uh, uh, two months in, in specific sectors in both on equity side and on credit. <laughs> so um, the question that I posed here, which I've touched on is, um, does a rotation into laggard sectors have to be at the expense of the most crowded trade tech and growth, or can it be in concert with a relative outperformance as money flows into cyclicals? Only time will tell, but the risk reward for skating to where, where the puck is going is attractive at the moment, uh, particularly when you have headlines like this, the Justice Department and state AGs are likely to file an antitrust lawsuit against Google. They do Google, maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's you know a number of these companies that you know AWS has such a massive share of that business. Um, you know who knows if that becomes a new trend uh, looking forward, and the market will start to discount that if it's going to be real at this point. Um, so we put money into banks, defense stocks, uh, home builders, energy, and small caps, and and you've seen, and I've been tweeting out if if you're uh, not on my Twitter, you can just go up here on the website and click on it. It's the handles at hedge fund tips and you can um, do that. I, I retweet a lot of good stuff and I put out obviously original stuff mostly. Um, so the other thing that we found historically is that we had our first quarter of negative GDP growth in Q1, we're gonna have our second quarter of negative GDP growth in Q2. So by definition, it's going to be a quote unquote recession. I think this is going to be the steepest drop in decades and it's gonna be the sharpest recovery. Why? Because even if you have a 6% contraction of GDP for 2020, like the CBO has been talking about, that's 1.2 trillion. 
we now have over nine and a half trillion dollars of stimulus aid and liquidity already in the system or already approved if you look at like three to four trillion the main street lending program they put out paperwork on that today that's not even starting till the end of may so that money's not even there and the money doesn't matter until demand starts to come back which it just started with all the states reopening and we're going to cover that uh, uh towards the end of this this uh video cast podcast so um we'll have the technical definition of a recession it'll be deep which we see it'll be short in our view because of the preemptive action that's unprecedented uh i've said it a million times on these podcasts steven mnuchin is the most valuable player in uh government policy probably of the last 50 plus years i think he's done a phenomenal job obviously the whole administration deserves full credit kudlow at, at l for coming together quickly uh and chair powell has gone above and beyond you know he got off to a bit of a rocky start in december of 2018 no one was happy with tightening too quickly but uh boy has he redeemed himself so far the key will be in the recovery does he see growth and then try to choke it off too quickly let it ride let it run hot let's see some sustained inflation and then you can take it down but amazing what they've done now um first we're going to start with bank catalysts um i think the core catalyst is going to be in two weeks you're going to have the c car which is the stress test is is likely going to come in better than expected because people are anticipating all of these business and consumer defaults uh which will be there that and the credit provisioning but what they're not talking about is the amount of fee income so 50 percent of revenue at the big banks is now fee income not attributable as much to net interest margin which you know the yield curve is flattish so people are worried about defaults and they're worried about net interest margin which i covered on shauna's show take a look um uh, the fee income from the first round of PPP alone was over $10 billion. That's going to go straight to the bottom line for um, the aggregate industry. That's $10 billion of earnings. That's really not factored in. Uh, the second aspect is the phase two is going to be more money because the average loan size is smaller. They make from 1% to 5% origination fees on the PPP loans to businesses this second batch which is not even finished yet is going to be closer to four or five percent versus two or three percent uh origination fees so you could be seeing when all is said and done and maybe a third round or something like it you could be seeing you know 25 30 billion of earnings to the banking sector in aggregate that no one's anticipating which will offset a lot of the higher loan loss provisions due to the coronavirus so that's a net positive uh, another catalyst is the Main Street Lending Program, which we just talked about. Three billion, to, three trillion of businesses, another close to a trillion to municipalities. It's going to go a long way to mitigate the magnitude of expected default risk, which everyone's afraid of from the beginning of the crisis. And TALF, which everyone's scared about the consumers, is going to keep credit flowing because they're going to start with $100 billion for credit card receivables, uh, student loan, commercial and mortgage debt, uh, auto loans, etc. So, I mean, what they put together and how quickly they did it, I cannot begin to underestimate the importance of what these people have done and, and how history will be written. Because if you had people bumbling like you did with uh, uh, the program in 2008 right now with the magnitude of what we're facing, um, you would have had something worse, certainly worse than 2008, but more likely worse than the 1930s. And instead, 
if we play our cards right and we're safe about it, you know, safe is it's simple. You know, if you're inside, wear a mask. I, I, actually, I'm not, I'm not going to give you any advice. Go to the CDC website, see what they say to do. But look, uh, I think it was Dr. Fauci talked about, or no, no, it was Cuomo. Actually, I caught him at lunch yesterday. Governor Cuomo did this whole thing about if you wear a mask, uh, how the incidence goes down dramatically. And he talked about healthcare workers. So 66% of the cases in New York were actually people who were in stay-at-home quarantine got COVID. Um, healthcare workers was like a much lower percentage. I'm cuffing this, it could be wrong, but it was like 33%. Um, it was so much lower, um, the healthcare workers, because they all wear masks. So if you go out, wear a mask, uh, there's no downside and, and there might be upside, uh, certainly when you go or do whatever you want, but it just helps us get through this quicker and get the economy going faster. So certainly when you go into stores, I wear it in stores. If you're out, you know, no one's around, do what you want, but, um, or at home, you know, no problem. Okay. So next is the defense stocks, which I talked about on Liz's show today. Uh, look at this during the great financial crisis, the sector collapsed. 60% drawdown, peak to trough, uh, it's since gained. But in this cycle, which is much milder than the great financial crisis because of what's been done, it dropped 55% peak to trough. So there's still a lot of relative value here and um, generational value. You know, the last time you had these type of bargains was over 10 years ago. And uh, there are a couple of things that are important about this. So one you had, as I discussed with uh, which Liz brought up, was the power grab China to Hong Kong. So that's gonna make people a little worried about intervention and rising tensions. You had the um, uh, edict by the uh, administration that US semiconductor companies had to get a license before selling anything to Huawei. So, you know, then there was that GT guy who's the mouthpiece for the Chinese government on Twitter saying, you know, beware of other companies could be put on a special list that they can't do business. And uh, so you have those two things going on. And then you have obviously a global concern and disappointment, uh, people uh, laying culpability on China, like saying that they should have act, acted faster and they want to charge money. So anyway, that rhetoric is an escalatory rhetoric that I, I don't think is going to lead to any a new trade war because the Chinese actually proactively said, we're going to stand by our word of the trade deal and we're going to continue with our purchases. So that's de-escalatory and very uh, constructive. So I, I don't think this back and forth is going to lead to a new trade war or a cold war. I do think it's going to keep going back and forth and it's going to draw people's attention to this sector that's dramatically undervalued inside of industrials, rotation into industrials. So I think there's great value here and I think those are the catalysts um, and they're, they're historically cheap. So uh, next is home builders, a lot of data, actually the Purchasing activity year on year was down 1.5% in the face of COVID. The the housing prices are, are standing strong. The um, uh, We had a seven point jump to 37 uh, from the NAHB, home builder confidence, largest jump since 2013. Obviously it's coming off a deep trough and uh, we have housing formation. So 70, 
we've got 85 million millennials that were starting housing formation. We were seeing housing starts, you know, trend up the last few years before COVID. I think this is going to accelerate it more than ever. There's a new article every day in the paper of people moving out of the city to the suburbs. They were doing that anyway because no one wants to pay $50,000 a year for kindergarten, although you can do that out here too if you really want to. Um, but this, you know, having been in the city during this stay at home could, you know, for, you know, staying in an apartment must, must have been extremely difficult for a lot of families. So they're saying, let's move out to the suburbs. And by the way, the most important aspect of that is now they've proven to their bosses that we can be productive working from home and the technology is there. You know, five, seven years ago, the bandwidth uh, and the high speed really wasn't at levels that you could sustainably do this with all these people on at the same time. Now it's a lot better. So I think this, you know, uh, kind of came at the right time. It will enable more people to move out. This is going to be bullish for the home builders. And by the way, the last time we had this size group of people starting housing formation was, you know, that whole run from 1982, the baby boomers, early 80s to 2000. And that was also one of the greatest economic booms in history. So we have even bigger demographics at the age where they're starting uh, uh, households, moving out to the suburbs. Uh, you saw it in Pulte's earnings report as well. During the trough during coronavirus uh, about a month ago, they had 140 new orders for new homes. Uh, just uh, a month later, over 400 orders for new homes in the middle of the pandemic, etc. cetera. Uh, this is very, very promising. So I, I like that group. Mortgage applications to purchase a home rose 6% uh, last week from the previous week. And that's positive. Energy we've covered ad infinitum. The rig counts down from 1600 in December of 2014 to about 300. I didn't see the exact number today, but it's like 300 in the range. Uh, low prices cure low prices. We've got a ton on tankers. So, you know, as we get up to 4550, they're going to dump all that stuff off the ships, probably take a leg back down to the low 40s, high 30s before sustainably uh, uh, rebalancing over the next 12 to 18 months. And the, the survivors, you know, 15% will go bankrupt. We've talked about that even since October when we start building the position. Um, uh, the remaining 85, these are going to be, you know, potentially doubles and tripl triples over the next three to five years. If you want a roadmap to what that may look like, take a look at the early 2000s in the same energy depression. And then as people get washed out, the survivors just control share. The other thing you got to keep in mind and no one's really focused on is that the, the magnitude and duration of the cuts is unprecedented. So you had 9.7 million cuts, barrels a day cuts from the OPEC meeting for May and for June. The Saudis added another million. So you're looking at 10.7 million. Uh, I've heard the Russian production is going to be down, but that's not just May and June because that's what's mostly covered. Then from July to January, it goes down to 7.6 million barrels a day. And then from January 2021 to April 2022, so this is a two-year program, 5.6 million barrels a day. So they're going to abort those cuts before they're over because I think the market's going to rebalance significantly before that as demand comes back in. How do we know? Take a look at China. They troughed at 10 million barrels a day in February during the trough of their cycle of coronavirus. They're back to near pre-pandemic -pre levels as of this week, 13 million barrels a day. We're gonna follow that trajectory and probably exceed it uh, because we're, we're getting states open left and right. And as a matter of fact, 
Uh, I'll just jump ahead. Um, today, this article was in the Wall Street Journal. All 50 states have now taken steps to reopen. So to greater or lesser extents, it is happening, and it's happening in a big way. So those are the four sectors. The um, <coughs> AAII sentiment, this is constructive. We had a big move, but yet it's still subdued. So we moved up from 23 to 29% bullish percent. If you want to know how that works, click on video explanation. Bearish dropped down from 50 down to 45. They came off extreme levels of bearishness, but they're nowhere near euphoric. They're not even near excited yet. So there's room for this to breathe and to grow. And that was also evidenced, you can see here, this was the bottom and now we're working our way back up. So we've got quite a bit of room till you see an extreme on bullishness. Uh, CNN Fear and Greed, which is a compilation of a handful of indicators at 53, which again is mid-range. Extremes are here like we saw in March when we were pointing this out, uh, or in February when it was also extreme at, you know, here before the crash. And this, oh, so here you can actually see it over time. And active investment managers got washed out last week on that 6% uh, intra-week uh, correction. They dumped out a stock, so now they're going to have to rechase if we push higher again. We'll see. We, we might just be consolidating for a while uh, more, and they, they may get more time. But um, they are, they're going to have to play catch-up no matter how you slice it. Next, um, okay, in case we forgot to mention it, we like banks. Banks are still very cheap. Um, obviously defense, home builders, energy, small caps. Now, and we talked about small caps. They were up 7% this week relative to the S&P, up 3%. Um, again, go up here to terms. I don't have to remind you, but this is not advice. This is my opinion only. It's not, uh, I'm not advising you. Everyone has different financial situation. Click terms to see that. Do your own work. Talk to your own advisor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, lastly, okay, so we started, okay, now it's not, okay, I said it's not going to be a straight line up, but over the next 6 to 18 months, we believe we're going to see relative strength in these groups. Like I said, underperformance in general indices and the overweights relative to these new laggard sectors. This is going to happen as demand kicks in. We've been hammering that the last four weeks. All the money in the world, the $9 trillion doesn't matter until people go back to work. That's happening now. And what will be greater than $10 trillion of stimulus aid and liquidity after this last package gets through, probably be a trillion dollars, maybe half to the states and half to infrastructure and other things, uh, starts to circulate in the economy. And that's why I said on... Tuesday on the Yahoo Finance Show and in this article that we may see growth levels by the first half of 2021 that will not be possible if not for COVID-19 because we never have this level of global fiscal. That's the most important thing and monetary policy at play. And if you remember a year and a half ago, everyone was saying, you know, monetary policy has reached its limits. We now be, need you know, everyone to step up for fiscal, but Germany wouldn't budge in Europe. Well, now they're doing it. They do a 500 billion euro package they're doing together uh, with the major countries in Europe. So, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. At least, you know, with all the tragedy and sadness and human suffering that's happened, at least some good will come out of it. We'll just have to get through this valley and, uh, and, and, and off to the races again. So to answer Grace, Grace Potter's initial question, are we falling or flying? She did her live 
uh, stream this Monday. By the way, no, uh, the next one's coming up this next Monday, so check it check it out on YouTube. Um, so, okay, are we falling or flying? I think the answer is it depends on your sector selection moving forward as we continue to climb the wall of worry. So I wouldn't be an index player here like, oh, I hope the index goes up another 30% in the next few months. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the, the opportunity is there will be sectors and stocks that move that much under the surface, but um, that, that's where you're going to get the juice. So on her stream, she did this song called Tiny Light. That video came down, but we just put it up from her um, album video. And it says, I see a tiny light like a flashbulb sparkle in the light. You can listen in, but it's not going to shine without a fight. So we're going to have to put effort in. It's going to be in fits and starts. It won't be a straight line up. We'll have a little bit of a fight, but uh, I thought those songs were appropriate for this week. I hope you enjoyed that. Moving on. This chart this morning, I think this was from uh, Market Watch, but they took it from Bank of America Equity and Quant Strategy. Bank of America has put out some amazing stuff. Um, where are you going to put your money? So the dividend yield relative to the 10-year treasury yield is now trading at near historic highs. So if you look at the last time we got over three times the dividend yield on the S&P 500 was three times greater than the uh, yield for just parking your money in bonds, um, was 1948 after World War II. And if you remember from 48 to 68, we had a monster secular bull market because how could you park your money in bonds and get nothing when you could get three times the yield just parking it in an index fund? Uh, that's exactly where we are right now. And I thought that was a great article and point. Next, uh, Dr. Fauci went from being one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse last week to being a bearer of good news this week. He calls Moderna's data, albeit small, um, quite promising. So the market seemed to like that today. Um, and uh, nice to see him getting on board. Next, uh, the... S&P 500 stocks above the 200-day moving average. This is very interesting. <clears throat> so uh, this deals in breadth to some degree. Like, So you've had this huge move in the rally, but you still have only 35% of the S&P 500 stocks are above their 200-day mo moving averages. And you see that you know this stuff takes time like you had in December of 2018. But the, the key is when you're at these levels, you're closer to a bottom than you are to a top. Uh, you start to look at tops you know, in the 80s or 90s, but even then, usually you're thrusting out of a, a big dislocation. It can persist for some time and stay elevated, persist for some time and stay elevated. But when you do get under these 20 levels, you wanna start to look, You know, is it time to start getting some exposure? And certainly it was in March. Uh, but it, on the basis of this, we have quite a long way to recover. Again, won't be a straight line overnight, but it's just one more thing that we look at um, in a whole basket of things that uh, paints a similar story, picture. I guess if you're painting, it's a picture, not a story. Um, okay, all 50 states have now taken steps to reopen. Uh, China recovery, we talked about the 13 million barrels a day. We've talked about seats in the air have doubled. Uh, we've talked uh, domestic air travel. We've talked about, and then uh, their one of their major smartphone makers, Xiaomi, 
uh, had a 13.6% rise in first quarter revenue. So why that's important uh, to the US is because it just shows the path forward. If they can do it, we can do it, and we may be able to do it even faster and, and uh, more aggressively. This shows TSA passenger check-ins. We talked about this last week. They troughed on March, uh, April 14th at 87,000. Well, look at this yesterday, up to 318,000. So, um, you know, we're up 4X off the bottom, which is really good news, uh, albeit down from 2.6 million last year. So we got a long way to go, but totally headed in the right direction. And I said last week, if they made masks mandatory on the planes and in the airports, which they could because they have federal authority, I think this number would go up to five, six hundred thousand in the next two weeks because the planes are safer than the airports in terms of the air because they have the HEPA filters, et cetera. You make people wear a mask in the airport, they'll wear it on the plane. People will just go back to traveling. The deals are there. The airlines want to serve. The planes are sitting there. Let's rock and roll. Okay, next, moving on to, I want to get you guys out to the beautiful weather and enjoy the long weekend. Um, TSA earnings. Okay, I do sectors. today. This week I did two sectors. Energy, 2020 earnings uh, have come down over 100% in the last 60 days. So they're just thrown in the kitchen sinks. We know why. That's rear view mirror looking stuff. The next round, uh, I think I've got two more sectors to do. And then when I start up again, I'll have 2020, but I'll also have 2021 forward-looking earnings. Now that some companies are actually giving us guidance, it will be more helpful. A few weeks ago, it would have been useless to include 2021 because uh, that's where we were. The defense sector, defense and aerospace, uh, ETF is ITA. Those earnings were only down 18% in the last 60 days, while the sector was down 55% peak to trough. So like I said, this, this here is a, a possibility for relative value uh, play and recovery. Next, uh, we've got, oh, the fact set numbers. Just want to bring up the S&P numbers so we don't forget those. We didn't spend a lot of time on it last week, so I wanted to get you updated. Uh, interesting. So the S&P peaked at $3,400 on $163 of earnings, uh, which is what we had in 2019. Obviously, we're going to take a mid-teens dip or more this year. That's known. But next year, we're still expected to exceed that. And I think, you know, you never say this about earnings because more often than not, they come down versus go up. But I think with what will be over $10 trillion in the system and people going back to work, these may be conservative. But even if they're not... It wouldn't be unrealistic over the next 12 months to hit 3,400 at least because we're at equivalent earnings. The difference is the discount rate uh, has come down. Rates have come down, so you could, it could warrant a higher multiple. We'll see. We'll take it day by day. But the fact that 2021 held up in the last couple of weeks, that's promising. Uh, next, Fed balance sheet this week. Uh, they're up to $7 trillion, so probably about $3 trillion over the last uh, two and a half months. Addition. This is um, a lot of the gains were in uh, obviously treasuries, uh, mortgage-backed securities, 165 billion. So they're, they're, you know, look, a lot of people didn't pay their rent. They're, they're backstopping that market until people can get back on their feet. Huge, uh, they bought some loans, 19 billion. Uh, looks like some swaps. So you can take a look at that. Uh, factors affecting reserve balances. And lastly, oh, okay, our final thing is 
the Ask Me Anything. So if you're on our daily email list, you know that on the bottom, I say that in our weekly podcast, we're gonna have an Ask Me Anything session. You can submit your questions and I'll pick a couple. This week came from Benjamin. He said, hey, hey Tom, here's a brand new Ask Me Anything question. Your 429 Indicator of the Day video and podcast 29 discussed uh, uh, put call ratios below 80 as a possible short-term bearish indicator. Wouldn't CBOE's open interest be a better indicator? That is the ratio of put open interest over call open interest since the CPC ratio represents the current day's put call ratio while the actual open interest is more telling regarding the market makers wanting the majority of options to expire worthless. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty sophisticated question. I, you know, it, I have quite a lot of experience with this um, and haven't found much of an edge. It's definitely worth looking at. Like we say, we've got a hundred indicator videos, by the way. If you want to learn, they're all free. Uh, you just have to put in the time. So if you think it takes time to view them, imagine how much time it took to make them. Click on market indicators video. There are about a hundred in there. We look at about a dozen to two dozen every week just to get a barometer of where we are in the markets. Uh, there is no magic indicator, but when you look at a bunch of them together that you get comfortable with, it can give you an edge. Um, just in terms of risk reward and whether you wanna be aggressively adding or, or lightening up. <coughs> okay. So I pulled up his CBOE um, open interest statistics. You can Google that. And here it was, index options for the week. The puts outnumbered the calls, which makes sense that the market went up uh, 3% and we had a, a big week. Um, there's another way to think about this. So let me ask, answer the first part of his question. I would never look at this indicator in isolation. And if anything, the opposite side is a better indicator. When you get you know, up to this, uh, these extreme levels are more likely to be bottoms than these extreme levels being tops per se. So while it's true, you're usually going to see levels below 80 at a top, just because you hit 80 doesn't mean that it is the top, if that makes sense. So below 80, below 80, below 80, there's complacency, but, but the market keeps climbing higher. But right before the top, you did have the 80. So 80 said there's a higher probability that this could be a top, but it doesn't necessarily mean the top. These monster spikes usually mean that there's a bottom. When, when you get that much insurance buying, you know, the time, the joke is the time to buy insurance is before your house burns down. Uh, so the time to buy insurance is when you have these low readings here. So yeah, we got a below uh, 80 reading. We had this little pullback consolidation. Now it looks like we're breaking out. We'll see. Um, uh, but this is this is just to look at. I'd be much more interested in these, you know, extreme as a contrary buy versus these extreme as trying to short short the tops are well are always much higher than harder than buying the bottoms because if you short the top, you can get your face ripped off. If you buy the bottom, time will work it out over time if you're buying quality. Um, okay, so this is probably a better indicator. This is the uh, equity put call ratio on a 10-day moving average. So it's a bit smoothed out. Again, you see these acceler elevated levels 
closer to bottoms, closer to bottoms. So that's just another one to add into your arsenal. Here you got below 50. Oh, it was the top, okay? But here you got uh, into the 50s and it was just a short-term thing like we had this week where you, last week with the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse uh, and then we just blew through it. So um, just more indicators you can add to the basket. But getting to the heart of his question, there was an indicator I used um, for about a year. I used it aggressively. It's it's this website. I can't pull it up. It's called, uh, I'll just spell it out. You can look it up yourself. Maximum-pain.com. Maximum-pain.com, or you can Google it. Basically, you put in this, the security. In this case, I just set it up for the S&P 500 to keep it simple um, with an expiration date of today. And basically, what you find is that the green is the put option open interest, I'm sorry, call option open interest, the red is the put option, and then they give you a maximum pain number, which in this case was 294. So in other words, mo the most premium puts and calls was written in the aggregate at 294. So the market makers, the sellers of options would make the most money if the market closed at 294 today on the SPY and it closed at 295.44. So pretty close. The sellers did better than the buyers. And, you know, I guess the old saying goes, better to be the casino than the gambler. But um, it doesn't always work that way. So, you know, I probably have like a thousand case studies on this. It's okay. I think it's a useful, you know, it reminded me of a useful indicator that I've used in the past. So Benjamin, um, what the CBOE tells you is not as clear or charted out as what you could find here. So if you really like that idea, then just plug it in. You can plug in any stock here when it matures and see where the max pain is. And I would not trade on it. I would just look at where there's incentive for the price to get to uh, by that time. But um, I will say on balance, maybe a little bit better than a coin flip, but but not to be used in isolation as a be-all, end-all like any other indicator. Um, okay, so I think that is it. Wow. Uh, we went through a lot of information very fast. I'm wishing you all a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Get out there, get some sun, spend some time with your family. Enjoy. Be safe if you're in public, indoors, mask, you know, do all the safety things so we can just crank this economy up, get everyone back to work and back to prosperity. Uh, uh, like we saw just a few short months ago, we can, you know, uh, Chairman Powell said we can get there's no reason that we can't get back to 3.5 percent historic unemployment levels uh, if we um, if we do all this. this. The table is set with the stimulus aid and liquidity. We just have to get back to demand, get back to work and do it safely so that we only have small hiccups uh, that now that the curve is flattened and we have capacity in the healthcare system, we'll deal with the small spikes and the small flare ups and get everyone safe until maybe we even get a vaccine faster or a treatment faster than we anticipate. As they've been saying, a lot of shots on goals. So let's, you know, be hopeful, uh, but, you know, also be in action and take taking advantage of that. So we'll see you back here next week. Same time, same place. Hope that was helpful and make it a great one.